Over the past several years, I've covered many subjects on this show that would be considered alternative or fringe. But one subject that continues to captivate the audience as well as myself is that which we call the ET or UFO phenomenon. Now, although these terms have been used quite loosely to define an idea, the idea that we are not alone and never have been, there are many of us who feel that these labels, ET, alien, and UFO, diminish the incredible breadth and scope of this aspect of reality, a reality that I think we as humans are far more intertwined with than many could imagine. Frankly, I don't know that we could ever fully describe in our own terms just what this is all about, just who they are, and what this all means to us. So for the sake of argument, or for our inability to fully define this incredible mystery, we'll call this the ET UFO phenomenon. Now, many of you know, who've listened to a few of the guests that I and others have interviewed over the years, particularly more recently, we're now starting to hear broader terms that may shed a little more light on the scope of the phenomenon that we're dealing with. Rather than paint this with a broad brushstroke and calling all of these beings ETs, we're now hearing other perhaps more expansive terms like extra-dimensionals or interdimensionals, the implications of which are great. Are the beings that we're now discussing actually here on this earth with us? Are some of them human-looking? Are they hybrid beings? Do they live not on other physical planets, but in other dimensions, or both? And here's a big one. Are we, some of us human beings, a blend of other non-human species? And are some of us starting to have recognition or remembrance of a time when we were, well, not human? According to some of the stories you're about to hear in this special episode of Higher Journeys Radio, the answer to all of the above is yes. One area that we will highlight in this episode, and an aspect of the phenomenon that I feel is far more common than many realize, is what I'm going to call the experiencer phenomenon. These are individuals who describe, in some cases, many, many years of ongoing contact with non-human beings. What's interesting when exploring the experiencer phenomenon is that the entry points to contact, whether through past life regression, actual waking life visits, or even encounters with human-looking beings out in public, all of these illustrate that there are multiple variations to these encounters. In fact, based on what I've been able to gather throughout the years, these experiences are happening to a broad range of people from all walks of life, all professions, all cultures all over the world. In bringing you this episode, it's my sincere desire to help shine a brighter light on this subject, to crack the door open just a little bit more, and to finally look at these experiences with the attention that some of us think it deserves, and to hopefully, one day soon, put away the sarcasm, cynicism, and ridicule that too many people have encountered at great personal and professional expense. This phenomenon is a lot bigger than many of us would think and to me, far more important to ignore any longer. The following are excerpts from guests that I have had previously on the show, names which many of you I'm sure are familiar with. I'm talking about renowned regression therapist, ET, and crop circle researcher, Barbara Lamb, preeminent UFO researcher and historian, Richard Dolan, and ET contact researcher and expert, Mary Rodwell. Each of these individuals have an abundance of information and insight to share, covering key areas that bring the ET UFO phenomenon into clear view. 
First, I'd like you to hear what Barbara Lamb had to say about a woman that she worked with early on her path to exploring the ET human connection. This has to do with hybrid beings. Listen to what she had to say. Um, the very morning that I came to that conclusion, I, a couple of hours later, was in a metaphysical bookstore, and the woman behind the counter said, Oh, aren't you Barbara Lamb? Don't you do regression work? And I said, yes. And she said, well, I don't know if you've ever run into this before, but I wonder if you would work with my 21-year-old daughter, who is extremely traumatized by unusual beings coming into her oh, my goodness. and wow. taking her away. And I thought, well, isn't that interesting? Just a couple of hours ago, <laughs> Synchronistically. I came to the conclusion all by myself that if that ever happened, uh, I think I could handle it. I could be therapeutically helpful. So, you know, just by doing the regression work that I already knew how to do. And in this case, it wouldn't go into a previous lifetime. It would go into uh, whatever that encounter was. So... Uh, I accepted that invitation and worked with that young woman. And, oh, she was terribly fearful. She was doing everything she could to stay awake until about 4 o'clock in the morning, that somehow after 4 o'clock, if nothing had happened, if none of these unusual beings had come, <clears throat> she felt safe. Right. She could go to sleep. But she had dropped out of school, out of college, and she dropped out of her part-time job and was insisting on sleeping between her mother and her father oh, boy. every night in their room. And, of course, they were really getting fed up with that. And you know, they'd make her sleep on the floor at the foot of the bed, you know, on a yeah. little pad or a sleeping bag or something. But still, she was having these experiences that the parents would be appearing to be deeply asleep totally out of it, and the beings would come and they would take her from the floor or whatever she was sleeping on, and she'd be returned to the parents' bedroom after an hour and a half or two hours or so, and uh, she was just really having a hard time with that. So we had six sessions and six regressions, and then she came in one day all smiling and looking cheerful, mm -hmm. very relaxed. And she said, I've concluded that it's all right with me if these beings, whatever they are, if they're coming to me, it's okay if they're taking me. And one of the regressions had shown that she had had a hybrid baby, oh, yeah. part oh. extraterrestrial and part hers, and that she had awakened sitting up against the wall in her parents' room one night with this very unusual-looking baby. And then the beings who were there took the baby and disappeared with the baby through the wall. Oh, my goodness. Well, so I mean, that was, you know, from her point of view, a very freaky incident. I think from anyone's point of view, that would be unusual. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's a big adjustment. Of course. Uh, for people when they realize that they unbeknownst to them, um, have had a hybrid baby, or sometimes they, they will meet those hybrid children now and then um, as 
the children continue to grow up and the years go on. Uh, but anyway, she came in that one day saying, I'm, I'm okay with all this. In fact, I think I feel privileged and honored to be chosen by these beings. I mean, they must see something really good in me if they want to create babies, partly them and partly me. Yeah. Uh, they must honor me in some way. And I'm feeling secure, and in fact, I'm feeling safe, and I'm going to be moving with my boyfriend to a little cabin in one of the canyons uh, behind where we live in uh, Claremont and Upland in Southern California. Mm-hmm. So in other words, they were moving into, oh, pretty much of a wilderness situation. And I said, well, what if the beings continue to come? And she said, oh, that's perfectly okay. I I don't mind. I, I would even like to see them again. So, wow, Alexis, what a wonderful beginning that was for me to uh, be introduced to this whole thing, mm-hmm. you know, to work with this person who was so traumatized, so fearful. And then after just six regressions, six different sessions, she felt so confident yeah. and she liked them and it was fine if they visited her. So then I thought, well, boy, that's great. What an interesting experience. I'm so glad that she's been helped. And um, I thought, if anybody else happens to come for this sort of purpose, um, I feel very good. I feel confident in handling that with anybody else who might come for that. Well, that was in 1991. Mm -hmm. And since then, there have been about 1,100 Um, individuals, the number goes up every time I mention it because more people keep coming, and there's about 1,100 individuals whom I've done um, regressions with to their extraterrestrial encounters, and some of them uh, live close enough to me that they have come for many regressions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some people came for 20 regressions over a period of a very few years, uh, some came 40, uh, one lady came 50 regressions, wow. came for 60 regressions over a period of about 11 years. So it's really a lot of uh, material that has amassed. I'm sure. I'm oh, sure. my goodness, and it, and it continues. In fact, this afternoon I'm doing yet another regression with a, a new person Wow. had extraterrestrial encounters and Friday as well. So, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, people um, are somehow, I think, uh, hearing me when I give a lecture or that they are uh, finding me on the Internet. And really, it's such a big phenomenon. I think it There's is. so many yeah. people involved that people are emailing and calling from all over the United States and from other countries and they want very much um, to be able to find somebody in their area uh, who can work with this sort of thing mm-hmm. that they're experiencing. Right. Well, so you... it happens that, fortunately, uh, there's an organization that I'm uh, currently, for a few now, years now, uh, president of, 
It's called the Academy of Clinical Close Encounter Therapists, Mm -hmm. with the initials being A-C-C-E-T. And uh, and we have a um, membership of therapists and hypnotherapists who do this kind of regression work for experiencers of extraterrestrial contact mm-hmm. or other anomalous right, right, as well. So I get requests all the time. I'd say on an average, um, oh, uh, three or four requests per week. Per week, wow. Year round. Uh, so it just shows how many people are being affected and look on the Internet and, and try very hard to find somebody they can work with, mm-hmm. professional in their area. Yeah. Unfortunately, it is such that, I, as far as I can figure, um, most psychotherapists and most hypnotherapists uh, do not know about this phenomenon or do not want to touch it. Or don't want to touch it. I think yeah. that may be more apt and, to say. And sure. medical doctors, too, they... You know, people very often will report um, some strange happening uh, to their medical doctors or they'll say they're anxious and, and it's difficult to sleep because they have fear that somebody's going to come and get them. And uh, very often the medical doctors or uh, other therapists or psychiatrists will say, oh, well, you've got a paranoid uh, disorder or, or your, you know, paranoid delusions, and they'll misdiagnose them, and often even mismedicate them. Yes. And mm-hmm. so these people are really worse off. Yeah. You know, now thinking not only are these things happening, but there's something really wrong with them themselves. Now, this is a sticking point. Uh, this idea that so many individuals are going the traditional route of therapy to address these very real experiences. And instead of getting any sort of insight or even just an empathetic ear, they're getting medicated, they're getting shunned, they're getting shut out and completely ignored. Mary Rodwell, who you're going to hear from shortly, has mentioned that she's had young children, not all, but some, come to her with these experiences, expressing a deep sense of sorrow and inadequacy, feeling that something is wrong with them due to the fact that their experiences are being treated as a disorder, or at a minimum, just pure fantasy. These are young children, preteens, who, although very young, themselves have already been taught through conditioning that a normal life does not include such experiences. And so, if they are having encounters, something is wrong with them. Something must be fixed. This is sad. You know, I have to share this one story with you about a woman who allowed me to interview her about a past life regression she'd had, which revealed a definite connection between her and non-human beings. Although extremely surprised about this, she was truly excited and wanted to explore this connection in great depth. Now, at the time, she was delighted to have me share her experiences and newfound understanding with our audience, hoping that she might help others who'd had similar encounters feel more at ease and not alone about their experiences. Several months later, she contacted me, letting me know that she was sorry she told her story due to the fact that she was being ridiculed and bullied by her circle of so-called friends. She'd been so harassed by them, she considered moving away to distance herself from the pain that all of this had caused. 
Now, we're talking about a full-grown adult woman who had approached her experience with an open mind, but with a very sound and sensible approach. Someone who was anxious to learn more about this reality, but not in a frivolous manner. And this is what happened to her. Imagine the young, young children who, due to their experiences, are reaping consequences like this and worse. It's time we address this with far more care and compassion. Next, I'd like you to hear from Mary Rodwell. I've interviewed Mary twice at this point, but the second time I interviewed her was incredibly powerful. She was actually joined by one of her regression clients, a lovely woman by the name of Kim. Now, Kim, a mature woman in age, had also been having very definite paranormal and otherworldly encounters for years, most of her life, in fact, but like many, had nowhere to put them. She'd grown up in a very conventional and traditional family who apparently had no room for such experiences. But the encounters persisted, Kim said, and on a regular basis. Eventually, she found Mary, who subsequently agreed to regress her. In fact, the entire two-plus-hour regression of Kim is available on the Higher Journeys YouTube channel. Well, if we're having encounters with non-human beings, I think the key question to keep in mind is just what is the significance of these experiences? Are we having them in order to learn something about ourselves? Here's what Mary had to say about the importance of such sojourns based on her regression of Kim. Well, I love hearing Kim and how she expresses because really this was her experience. What I believe happens when you work in this way with an individual, both of you are working together to get an understanding of why we're here, what it's all about, the mystery. And for Kim, it was all these questions she'd had all her life. And, you know, it was, how can I get some understanding so I can make sense of it, so I can get on with life, you know? Okay. She'd lost, uh, uh, lost her, you know, her soulmate, this beautiful man that, you know, was no longer with her. She was, she'd had these, all these anomalies during her life where she didn't fully understand what it meant. Past life recall that she was trying to understand. So there was in this matrix, and, and given her, you know, I call our, our lovely, you know, um, time of life where we, we're seeking to get some sense of our lives when we reach this point in our lives. All of us are the same. We're, we're seeking to understand what is it all about. And it's not about getting, you know, two cars and a big house and whatever. It's about making meaning or, or having meaning to our lives. So the, if you like, the intent of that was all of that in the mix. And so when I work with someone, the intent is what is it that you are, you are hoping to understand? And you're actually talking not only to your subconscious, I believe, but your superconscious, mm. that higher part of you. And you're saying, I want answers. Please help me. Maybe the questions aren't quite right. But whatever it is, this is what I'm seeking. And that was the intent. And that intent brought me to work with her because obviously for whatever reason, that was the mix that you know, the matrix um, or her aspect of herself needed to achieve. So I believe there's a very spiritual component to everyone I work with, that there is an understanding between souls that we are working together mm -hmm. if you want to take it to that level. Yeah. So I'm acting, at, I'm part of that 
process because of whatever frequency or intent or whatever it is the way that you work. What was wonderful and always is the most amazing thing, working with someone and, and someone as aware as Kim is, this is, this is always a blessing because I know we can go wherever she needs to go because she's prepared to go anywhere she needs to go. So there are no boundaries. There's not, you know, timelines. There's nothing about whether or not it's dimensional. You know, I'm, this isn't intellectualized. It's the subconscious, superconscious saying, this is where I need to take you to find the answer to this. Wow. So it, t- it took her really not only into her understanding that she works with non-physical intelligences, um, depending on how you want to interpret them, you know, light beings, a- angels, just whatever your belief system is doesn't matter. There's still um, these beautiful beings that she's connected to from her origins. She got confirmation. She, she reconnected to that part of herself that is the multi dimensional part of herself she also realized that she you know this beautiful soul that she'd been living with physically was not gone mm-hmm. she felt him again because she was ready uh, to embrace that understanding again mm-hmm. so she was able to connect to that she was able to connect to her understanding of those lives that she'd previously suspected when she was in Mexico, for example, and got mm-hmm. confirmation that this was, t- this was a reality for her that was really important because it was part of her mystery, part of the not knowing that she wanted to understand. So because she was so open and so prepared and so ready, she was able to get and, you know, understand all those mysteries that had gone on through her life. Mm-hmm. And for me, the package was there. It was everything that she'd sought to understand, and it made sense, and it resonated. It wasn't for me to interpret that. That's her journey. She interpreted it. She understood it, and she got what she needed mm-hmm. at that moment in time to move forward with that understanding. So for me, the blessing, the bouquet, if you like, mm-hmm. is knowing that by the end of it, that this had profoundly shifted her understanding of herself and realizing that she can continue to do that. After, afterwards that, that you know that that recording and and that understanding now was with her and she can continue to access more information via that process so in in a way you know i've shown up the bikes there you know how to ride it <laughs> now if you want to get really good at it you continue riding the bike and you can find out more information which is to me the blessing of all of it was that it it, it helped her reach a new paint point in her her mm-hmm. her understanding of herself. If these experiences can teach us how to shift our lives in profound ways by helping us to reach a new understanding about ourselves, to me, this is well worth our time and attention to explore. Here's another adventure in exploration put forth by UFO researcher Richard Dolan, whom I interviewed in early 2015. Now, Richard is well known for his inquiry into the decades-long government cover-up of extraterrestrial reality. But on occasion, he'll put forth anecdotes of people whom he's met personally who've come to him to reveal their own brushes with what they thought to be non-human beings. On this, our first show together, he shared several absolutely mind-boggling encounters, a true illustration of high strangeness. But again, each of these stories point to the fact that reality, our reality, is comprised of much more, shall we say, bizarreness than we think. Are we interacting with non-human beings right now? Listen to this story from Richard about the idea that we are indeed sharing our planet with beings not of the human kind. One other story, like I've not, this is one that I've, I don't know if I've ever um, 
recounted publicly. I'll, okay. I will probably include this in a written book. Um, I'll, I'll certainly have this probably in volume three of UFOs International Security State. Mm -hmm. I finish that, and I may include it elsewhere. But this is a, a story that I received from a woman. I was giving a, a lecture in Iowa a number of years ago. After the lecture, another, you know, these people come up to me. This is a very soft-spoken, well-educated woman um, who told me that she'd never given the story out anywhere. Mm -hmm. uh, and after you hear me telling it, you'll, you'll see why. Mm -hmm. uh, she just didn't really know how to process this or what to do with it. But back in the spring of 1998, she said to me, she was a young college student in her early 20s. Her name is Lisa, by the way. Um, so she was in her early 20s, and she was studying for one semester in the UK uh, for a degree in English literature. So kind of a nice you know, experience. I did that back, back when I was 21. I was in, uh, at Oxford for a while, and mm -hmm. it was a nice experience. That's what she was doing. So she's very smart, very articulate, level-headed person. Um, and back then, she said on many times she would take the train system in the southern part of the UK, and she would go back from London, uh, between London, Birmingham, and Swansea, which is toward uh, Wales. So then toward the end, she said either the end of February 1998 or the beginning of March of 1998, she has a very bizarre experience. So she gets on the train at, at uh, Stratford-upon-Avon, and she was bound for Swansea, Wales. Uh it was around 5 or 6 p.m., she said, and she was in the middle of a commuter rush hour. So it wasn't surprising that she gets on this train and she sees a full car. Um, but then again, this car was very full. It, not only was every seat taken, but a lot of the people were standing and they were uh, clogging the aisles. So she gets into the car, and again, to her surprise, she sees one empty seat. So she sits down in that empty seat. So this is, these are compartments. So each compartment is designed for four people. And the seats are uh, like facing each other. You know, you mm -hmm. can visualize that. Uh, so just to her left is a woman holding a newspaper and she's wearing like a headscarf and gloves. Uh, she looked like she's maybe 50 years old. She looked as though she was having, had a long day at the office. And the woman looked Northern European ethnically. So Lisa sits down. She greets her politely. Hello. How, how are you? The woman looks at her, she says, with eyes that were unusually large, unusually round, and with these brilliant colors, not hazel, but some kind of combination of colors that looked unusual. Uh, she had eyeglasses, but the she said, Lisa said, this is not the reason her eyes look crazy. <laughs> so her first response, so she faces Lisa. Her first response was this long, drawn out. She says, oh. <laughs> oh, my. That's an scary. <laughs> I know, right? Right, exactly. <laughs> and then uh, she gives some kind of re polite reply, which Lisa couldn't remember. But she had this odd accent. Even though they're, they're in Western England and they're very close to Wales, uh -huh. this woman spoke in a perfect Midwestern American dialect in fact, this woman sounded exactly like someone from central Iowa, which is right where Lisa had grown up. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So there was only one other seat on this car that was not occupied. It happened to be directly across from her. Now, there were bags and um, other things on the seat, and those belonged to a woman who's directly opposite the, this, 
unusual lady that was just talking. So like diagonal from her, diagonal from Lisa. Now this this was a woman. She had dark curly hair, brown eyes. Seemed a little more normal looking. She had unusual eyes though. They they protruded out. They bugged out a little bit. Very intense. Very intense. So during the whole time that Lisa and this strange woman are are chatting, this other woman is leaning forward. I mean, think of this is bizarre. Yeah. Obviously listening, obviously very attentive and curious. It's kind of unusual behavior. Mm-hmm. It just didn't seem normal. So she never spoke, but she kept moving her head and her mouth in ways that were odd. And then she would she looked at Lisa and it was a very unsettling way that she looked at her. So now now Lisa's looking around this car. She sees a young guy maybe 30. He's standing. He's reading a magazine. He smiles at her and he starts reading the magazine again. There's another guy uh, less than 10 feet away, one or two rows away in an aisle seat, and he's looking directly at her. He seemed ordinary, maybe mid-40s, bald, uh, paunch in his belly. Um, He's wearing a white T-shirt. He's got jeans, black leather jacket, no glasses. Now this is where things are really bizarre. She's looking at this guy's left index finger. Mm-hmm. And what she noticed, this is what she said to me. I noticed it was unraveling. I said, what? She says, well, his finger was unraveling. She said, there was a seam in his finger, like cloth. I said, well, it was gloves, right? She says, no, it was not gloves. So she's, she's looking at this thing very carefully. And what she sees unraveling, it's... <clears throat> it wasn't like medical sutures, she said. Mm-hmm. It was thread. She uh, said to me, look, I have excellent eyesight. This was not an ultra-tight fitting glove. I knew what I was seeing. The skin of this man's hand appeared to be very silky and definitely synthetic. Wow. Basically, she said he, was, he looked like he was wearing a human suit. So they're looking at each other. He sees her. She sees him. And just like the the two women in her booth, this guy had very unusual eyes, very unusual look in his eyes. Then he turns away and he's looking out the window. At this point, she's feeling lightheaded. And she said, almost as if my brain were paralyzed. Uh, she started feeling physically ill. So she's thinking, what's going on? Did I just have a stroke was actually mm. her question. And that's when she had this realization this man was not human. The people around her in the train were not human. And she begins to feel panic, right? And so she decides, I'm getting off the train at the next stop. I don't care how far I am from Swansea, I'm getting off the damn train. So um, she's looking at the guy with the unraveling finger, and he's, he's fidgeting. He's looking uncomfortable. So as the train comes to a stop, she's getting to her feet. But the guy beat her to it in a instant he gets up and he's out of the train at the opposite end of the car and she thinks "Mm, all right i'm going to stay on the train so she sits down but um things don't end here at all so the guy's off the train he's on the platform and she sees him through the window he's walking among the crowd he sees her through the window all right Mm -hmm. he and he's staring at her and as he's walking by he's holding his gaze at her and now she's noticing other things his clothes don't fit well they were kind of out of proportion with his body and his eyes somehow changed in a way that she couldn't tell but she said they look different and not only that the scarfed woman next to her 
is also looking at this man. And as she's looking at this man, she has a newspaper in her right hand, and she's using the newspaper to block her face from Lisa's view as if she's communicating with this guy. And, and the woman with the dark curly hair is also watching the man as he walks by. So now that – I mean this is it's like the twilight zone. It certainly is. So I hope this is not going too long. So the no, train no, starts moving again. And the scarved woman turns to Lisa she, and she says, we've been here for many, many years. Okay. Now, hmm. this did not, you know, at, at the moment, I think, I think our witness, Lisa, I think her head was in this fog. Because at the time she's thinking, we like, as in we, the British, have been here for a long time. Mm-hmm. But this, this woman did not sound British. And But the, this whole incongruity didn't really make sense at the moment. Years later, I mean, she, she said to me, like, my God, I was so naive. I was so confused at the moment. I didn't really handle this right. Um, there was another follow-up statement the woman made, something having to do with being a star being or star child. This is how oh, really? Lisa years later. Yeah, but she couldn't remember it perfectly. Mm-hmm. So now they're coming up to the next stop. And she's, for whatever reason, she's not feeling as panicky. She's feeling okay, even though, she, even though she still believes that these are aliens on the train. She still believes that. Now the most amazing thing happens of all. So the train comes to the next stop. As it approaches the next stop, you got 30 or 40 people in this train, in this car, right? Everyone steps up in unison at the exact same moment. Every single person. Wow. Up. They are out of the car within seconds. This is like no jostling, no sounds. This is the most efficient, rapid, orderly exit from a train car that anyone could possibly imagine, much less execute. It was so fast, she actually didn't remember the two women leaving her booth, but they, they were they, – everyone, everyone left. She, and, this, and I have a quote. She said, it was the most organized, efficient departure from a train I've ever seen. So okay. during the – the exit, the man who she noticed earlier reading a magazine, he had, the guy had smiled at her. She noticed he was acting as a chaperone to the group. He was human. She was convinced of that. And there was a young woman who she now saw with the man. She said she believed they were human. But as the group filed past her, a few of them looked at her and they smiled. One with a goofy smile and weird eyes said hello. Next thing she knows, she's sitting in a completely empty train car yeah yeah. um she couldn't see what direction they went she didn't know if they stayed together she didn't know if they went their separate ways and um and she had all these lapses of memory about this incident years later i mean she she couldn't tell me like basic facts like what train station they got off and Mm -hmm. she she said like maybe my brain was shut off um sound familiar right no exactly psychic in in las vegas Last thing, yeah. last thing about this crazy story. So for the rest of her train ride, she said, for whatever reason, I put the event totally out of my mind. And she goes back. She's at her college dorm room. She changes clothes. She goes to like this rec area, recreation area, TV's on. And she said, that's when it hit me. Like, I was like, holy crap, what have I just gone through? Mm. There was another student who was a friend of hers, and she tells him what just happened. And to her shock, he says, he took the story in stride. He said, well... I've heard rumors of a community in the UK that sprung up from nowhere. Uh, Maybe there's an ordinary reason for it, but maybe this is new real estate. He said, however, the people who live there, he said, never opened their doors. They were never seen anywhere. 
Um, but she has no name of the town, no location. Nothing's ever been confirmed about this. Mm-hmm. I mean, here's the thing. You could dismiss this as a paranoid thing of some of a, like a young student living in a foreign country. But when I met with her, I have to tell you, I spoke with her on the spot. And then after the fact, after I came home, I chatted with her mm-hmm. in great detail and um, very rational, very precise, very level-headed and everything. And um, that's her story. You know, yeah. it makes no sense. And the more we hear of these varied and bizarre experiences from people the world over, from all walks of life, the more we begin to understand that reality, as we know it, just doesn't make sense. As I mentioned at the top of this program, to paint these non-human entities with one brushstroke, to call them ETs or aliens, remember what Richard said, the strange woman told Lisa while on the train, we've been here for many, many years. Well, maybe they are not alien at all, at least not some of them, just not human as we understand human to be. Again, what role do we as humans play in this truly multidimensional drama? Just how many intelligent species are there out there or right here? Do they live on other planets, other star systems, inside the Earth, in other dimensions, or in our own backyard? All of these questions, they're up for grabs, and there are still many, many questions yet to be even partially answered. But the bottom line is, this isn't just happening to a few people. This didn't just begin happening to individuals. These experiences are not unique to just one part of the world. This is a ubiquitous phenomenon, and it comes, as we can see, in all different manner of experience. It appears that we are engaged with others, and I feel we probably always have been. Now, it's about remembering. It's about reflecting. It's about accepting, and of course, it's about exploring, investigating, and embracing the idea that they and we are far more than meets the eye. I know, when we try to get our arms around what all of this means, we are tempted to drop anything that doesn't seem normal to us in one big bucket. I just don't think we can afford to do that anymore. And of course, as I've said before, we certainly cannot afford to ignore those who have a need and a desire to express their own experiences with others and to quantify these experiences for themselves. It's not just about learning to tolerate these individuals. It's about learning from them. For they, I sense, have a lot to share. Perhaps giving an ear to their experiences may help us to remember our own Mary Rodwell has a theory that's quite interesting that she's surmised, a term she uses called screen memories. These are experiences that are so powerful, profound, and otherworldly that it's difficult to discern them for what they truly are. So instead, the individual having the experiences will think that they are something else, or moreover, the experience may not be remembered at all. That's how intense these encounters can be. With all of the talk recently about the desire to evolve, to understand who it is we really are, perhaps it is high time we delve a little deeper down the rabbit hole and uncover the screen or veil of reality. This is, to me, what human evolution is really all about. Be sure to tune in to the complete episodes from each of the guests featured in this special segment by visiting higherjourneys.com slash hjradio. Thank you for listening to this special 
episode of Higher Journeys Radio 2016. We'll talk again soon. Until then, I'm your host, Alexis Brooks. Higher Journeys Radio will feature more episodes on this very expansive subject. If there's someone in this field of study that you'd like to hear more from, please contact us via Facebook, YouTube, or directly at higherjourneys.com.